0: Before I jump into today's message here this morning, last week, if you were here, you uh, saw me do something really awkward and real, and I, was, I was actually really embarrassed about it. Uh, in the middle of my message or the beginning, I turned around. And I thought that there was somebody behind me. Do you guys remember if you were here seeing that? And I was the whole time during the message, I was like, what am I, am I going crazy? What's going on? And it was actually Mary Mayer texted me later on and and so helped me because I was just embarrassed. I was like, I just stopped the message thinking there's somebody talking behind me. But I heard very distinctly uh, the, the phrase. I, I, so at first I heard some noise and then I heard, Kevin, I'm right here. And it was that loud for me. And it was like right by the cross. And so that's why I turned around, just jarred. And look, I was looking back there because I heard it just so loud. Kevin, I'm right here. And um, as I've just been spending time with the Lord this week, I really realized that um, it's his love and mercy. One of the things that I, I, I think that I give into the most with, with the temptation of the enemy is to hear that, um, you know, God's not with you. God doesn't want to be with you. Uh, he, he's frustrated with you. He's annoyed with you. Um, he's disappointed in you. Uh, those are the, the things that the enemy does to get at me and to think that God's not here and he's not with me. And, uh, there was that apparent last week that God was Kevin, I'm right here. And so I just want to affirm this morning that, that God is here. He's in this place. That, that he is here among us. That he loves us. He is crazy about being with us. That there, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, the Bible says. There's nothing that we can do that would make God just give up on us and just march away from us. And for somehow I have that in my head and I believe the Lord's working that out in my life and, and putting forth his truth that he is here and he is with us no matter what's going on in our lives. And so I thought I'd just clarify that really awkward moment. Maybe it wasn't awkward for you, it was super awkward for me uh, from last week. So today we're going to jump in to this fall series and this is actually the last message of our fall series called Come and Go. And we've been talking about every week that in midst of all the brokenness and the chaos that's going around around us in the world, that just seems like it's completely out of control. What's really important for us to do is to do a self-reflective question. And that question is, how do I live as a disciple of Jesus? No matter what is happening around me, the, the question is still the same that it was 2,000 years ago is how do I live as a disciple of Jesus? Who am I following? Whose voice do I see as the ultimate authority in my life? And so Jesus told his disciples to come and follow him and that he would make them fishermen of men. And then he says, then go and make disciples. Come and be a disciple and then go and make disciples. And you see this theme played out in all the gospels. And that's what we've been really hitting on for a long time now. And so this final message of this series is called Complete Transformation. And really this, I believe, is the the climax or the capstone of this entire series and it's be transformed. Let the power of God and the love of God and, and the victory of Jesus transform your life. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said about this in Romans 12, two, he said this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. I think we're starting to identify more and more the behaviors and customs of this world. I think all of us, when I say that or read that phrase, you probably have in your head what you think the behaviors and the customs of this world are and how the world acts, how the world thinks, how the world talks, how the world treats each other. And so here the apostle Paul says, don't follow that. Don't follow the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God, can you say let God with me? Ready? One, two, three. Let God, thank you, let God, it's very important, transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And like I talk about most weeks when I'm studying for a message, I'm looking for the Holy Spirit just to have something jump off the page at me that, that I can really preach from my heart and that can be a revelation for me And it's this right here. And we're gonna talk a lot about this this morning. Let God, let God. That's what came off. Let God, let God transform you by changing the way you think. Now this word transform in the Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament is the word metamorpho. And it, it comes from this, where we get our English word metamorphosis. It sounds similar, doesn't it? So this word transformation, Means and is a word where we get metamorphosis. In the prefix meta, it means after, which means is implying that something happened before. And so, this after, and it means to change into another form. To change into another form, let God change you into another form, into this new person, by changing the way. You think Now, where does this change happen first? It says it right here in the Bible. It happens in our mind by changing the way you think. This is the first place where God wants to do a metamorphosis, a transformation in the way we think. Like I just shared with you to start off, for some reason I have this bad wiring in my head that if I mess up, God doesn't want to be around me. Well, he wants to change He wants to do a metamorphosis in my mind and change the way that I think and do a transformation so that I think according to how he really is, not by the lies in which I've been listening to or believing for years. Now, here's the other cool part as I was digging in this. Maybe this is a little nerdy. But when I hear the phrase, change the way you think, the first word that I think of is repentance. That's the definition of repentance. There's a changing in the way you think. There's a turning to God, turning away from old thinking and old behavior and changing to God in the way that he wants us to think and the way that he wants us to behave. And I never, I've never done this before, which I, I don't know why, but I decided to look up the word repentance in the Greek also. And it's this word, meta meta-aneo meta eneo and, and right away, I was blown away. I'm like, it's the same prefix. It's the same prefix as the word transformation. This meta, which means this after, and aneo means new. So repentance, the literal translation is after new. Isn't that cool? Because I think that we have got a wrong definition of repentance a lot of times. I think a lot of times when we hear hear the word repentance, we're thinking of guilt and condemnation and shame and God's mad at me and I really messed up and I better hide from him. I I think that this, this word repentance has gotten so twisted and I want you to hear it for what it really is. This word repentance is choosing to say, God, I wanna be made new. God, I wanna be made new. I wanna turn from the old way of doing things my old thinking and old behaviors. And I want you to make me new. And then this metamorphosis where God, you you step in and you change me into something completely new. Let's keep reading. This next part of this scripture it says, then everyone say then. Amen. Then the order here I think is really important. It says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing. And perfect. See, I don't believe that we can know God's will for us until we come to this place of metamorphosis, this repentance, this, this transformation where we decide to change the way we think. Because if we don't do that and we say, God, I'm gonna do it my own way, I wanna do it my will, the, how I think, that's how I wanna do it. When we have that sort of mindset, church, what happens is that there's no ability for God to come in and shift and change and transform our mind. We have to let God transform us. And then it says he'll transform our mind. But the only way that happens is that we first have to let him do that so that we can learn to know God's will for us. This is what the apostle Paul basically said in the book of Romans. Romans 8, 6 says this. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting your spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. How many of you guys want some life and peace? Here's the solution right here. Letting the Holy Spirit control your mind. Letting him. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. See, this is why... When we tell people what, what God says is sin isn't sin. So when, when we say, yeah, I know that that's in the Bible, but I think the Bible's a little outdated. I, I think it's not relevant for our culture now. Those standards that God set then are, I, I think that they, they didn't know what we know now. Have you guys ever heard people make arguments about the Bible that way? And it's even more dangerous when, the, when churches will do that. And here's the problem. We're actually robbing people of being made new. We're robbing them. We're robbing them of the kingdom of God. Remember, the only way that we would repent is if we say, I missed the mark. Here's God's standard. I didn't live up to that standard. I need to repent, ask for him to come in and renew my mind and transform me. And then he's gonna come in and do this work and make me brand new. But if we short circuit that for people and say, yeah, I don't think that's sin. What's right is wrong. What's wrong is right. And that's what our culture is screaming right now. And it's actually prophesied that in the end times that what's what's gonna happen in our world is what is good, they're gonna call bad. And what is bad, they're gonna call good. It's gonna be switched. What is right is gonna be called wrong. What's wrong is gonna be called uh, right. They're gonna switch it. And we see it happening. And here's really the heartbeat, I think, behind God, behind it is that he's saying, I, I, can't, I can't make you new and set you free if you don't understand that this is breaking my law, which means there's no repentance gonna happen, which means there's no transformation gonna happen. And, and it says, it never, our, our sinful nature never did obey God's law. Never did obey God's law. The sinful nature says, yeah, I know God says that, but you know, I'm gonna do my own thing. When we come into agreement with that, we're basically keeping ourselves in a stuck place of saying, I'm not gonna change, nor do I want to. But a disciple church comes to Jesus to let him transform them into a new person. They come to Jesus and say, I want you. I let you transform me into the new person that you want, God. Now here's our part in this, and it's letting God. Giving him access, which means that we need to have that conversation with the Lord. So I got a question for you here this morning, church. Have you had this conversation with the, with the Lord yet? Of letting him, and it might sound something like this, and it doesn't need to be a religious prayer, just let it come from your heart. Lord, I repent. In other words, you're saying, I want to be made new. I want you to transform me into a new person by changing the way I think, God. I'm so sorry for breaking your laws and breaking your ways. And I want to be an obedient child of the most high God. And most often, I want you to make me new. God, I'm yours. If you haven't had that conversation with the Lord yet, I would highly encourage you to do that to make that conversation a priority this week, to be able to have have this raw conversation. Say, God, I want you to make me new. I want you to transform me. And when you do that, I'd encourage you to tell somebody about it. Tell somebody about the decision that you're making and asking God to make you brand new. Now the next part, so the first part's up to us. We have to let him, but the next part is not up to us because it's God who transforms us. See, we cannot change ourselves by sheer will or force. And our best attempts turn into dead religion, don't they? Don't they? It's what Jesus dealt with with the Pharisees. He said to them, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look all pretty on the outside, but you smell inside, you smell like dead man's bones. Now that's an insult. If, if someone told you, man, if you walked in the church, and someone greeted you at the door and says, you look good on the outside, but you smell like a dead man's bones. You'd be like, I think I'm going to try out another church here. That's not very nice. But that's what, that's what Jesus told these Pharisees. And so our best attempt is we look, we look pretty on the outside. We look like we all have it together on the outside. But what Jesus is really getting at, I'm the only one that can transform you from the inside out. All I'm asking is that you let me. And if you give me permission... And if you say, I want you to, I want God to make his home in my life, in in my heart, I'll do it. I'll transform you, but I'm not barging in. I'm not gonna twist your arm. I'm not gonna force you, but I'm telling you, God wants to put his manifest presence, the Holy Spirit right inside of you to transform you from the inside out. So you don't have to work so hard to pretty yourself on the outside. It just naturally comes from a transformed life. Amen. When this transformation starts happening, people around you will start to notice. You might even notice because your fruit will change. Your fruit won't be stinky anymore. Your fruit will start bearing some really good things and people will notice this transformation. Galatians 5.19 talks about this fruit. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, Let's just say this together. We got, you guys. Some of you guys grew up in Sunday school. You've been learning this since day one. Let, let's read the for, for the spirit together. Ready? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is that good? There's no law against these things. In other words, nobody's going to tell you not to do them. You stop being so loving and patient. Have You ever had anybody scold you for that? Stop having so much joy. You stop that stop smiling. Smiling's my favorite. <laughs> you guys should watch that Christmas movie that I just referenced right there. It's called The Elf. It's really good. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucify them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I have a couple of cautions about this transformation though. Things that I'm learning that I'm going to bring you in on that, that really that I'm probably in the, right in the middle of it, just wrestling with it. And here's the first caution. And I believe the Lord is, has been speaking this to me. Be patient with yourself and with others. And this transformation process, be patient with yourself and with others. How many of you guys would admit that you're really impatient with yourself? How many of you guys would admit that you're impatient with others? All right, same hands. That's, that was the same thing that I got too. Impatient people that are impatient with themselves are usually impatient with others too. See, I get frustrated with myself at the relatively slow process of this transformation. I'm like, God, can't just, just change me now, seriously. Anybody ever pray that or think that or want that? Like, oh, one, you know, here's a couple of reasons. One, it's really embarrassing when your lack of transformation shows to other people and you know it. You know, I always say that being a pastor is like living in a fishbowl. And so everyone gets to see my weaknesses and it's really uncomfortable. And so, so many times it's like, oh God, would you change me quickly? This is embarrassing. Everyone's watching. The other reason that I I struggle with the process being so slow and why I'm so impatient with myself is that I understand that a lack of transformed life for myself actually hurts a lot of people. So if I'm responding to people out of a sinful nature and not out of a transformed life, I hurt people. And I got into pastoring to help people, not to hurt people. And so when I see myself hurting people, it devastates me. And so that's where I'm like, Lord, change me. Seriously, hurry up. I don't want to hurt any more people. And so I've had to learn, I just have to be honest. I have to be able to be patient. I have to enjoy the process with God because it's him doing it in me. I have to just continue to let him do that. Like I said, if I'm honest, I would, I'm impatient with the seemingly slow process of transformation in other people. Anybody ever hear this phrase? I thought that they were Christians. If they were Christians, they would have acted like this. Anybody ever hear that before? I thought you were a Christian. And usually it can be used as a manipulative statement to get something from you. Right? I thought you were a Christian. Give me some money. You know, I have a new thing that I'm going to start saying to people when I hear that. And, it, and it's not, it's not like, I know I'm kind of being sarcastic here, but this is really true is my response is that, well, we're all in the process of metamorphosis, a transformation. We're all in the process of it. And some people are further along than others. And some people are further along in an area, in one area than I am in another area. And I'm further along in one area that they're further along in another area. You follow me here this morning? Is that we're all just in process. Let's be patient with each other. You may have had the Lord transform you in an area 20 years ago, but can you be patient with somebody who hasn't had that transformation yet happen in an area of their life? And let's be patient with one another. Philippians 2.12 says this, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. See, this work out phrase implies that it's a process. Now, if I I told you I'm going to start to work out, you would understand that I'm in a process of something. I'm in the process of whether getting healthy or getting stronger or whatever that, begin, plan of running a marathon, that will never happen probably. Uh, but th- there's this working out, it's a process. And so here the apostle Paul describes that we're in process. And so this is why I emphasize, let's be patient with one another. Amen. Can I get some agreement here this morning? Amen. Let's be patient. We're all in process. And th- here's God's heart towards us. Psalm 103, 13. And I go back to this when I'm feeling really crummy about myself. So here's, here I let you in. You're like, oh, Kevin's feeling crummy. He's probably reading Psalm 103, uh, verse 13. It says this, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. He knows how weak we are. Can I let that sit? He knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wild flowers, we bloom and die. You're like, whoa, Kevin, you are pretty depressed. <laughs> I'm the only one laughing, that's awkward. Uh, see, what, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of me, I'm weak. And the more the Holy Spirit who can strengthen me in my weakness, I'm made strong, but that's not a given. It's only when I say, God, I'm weak, but I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm strong in you and you get all the credit and all the glory now. That's when weakness actually becomes a powerful thing. And and isn't just this, I'm so weak or this kind of self-loathing thing. It's when we turn it and we say, I'm weak, but I believe in a God who's very mighty and the Holy Spirit who is God lives inside of me. So God, would you make me strong through this? I like how C.S. Lewis said it in his book, Mere Christianity. And yes, I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan. You're like, yeah, every week we get a C.S. Lewis quote. Uh, Mere Christianity, if you've never read that book, you need to read it. I go back to it all the time. I think it's probably one of the most referenced books that I use. But he said this, if you're a poor creature, poised by a wretched upbringing in some house full of vulgar jealousies and senseless quarrels, saddled by no choice of your own with some loathsome sexual perversion, nagging day in and day out by an inferiority complex that makes you snap at your best friends, do not despair. He knows all about it, You're the one of the poor whom he blessed. He knows what a wretched machine you're trying to drive. Keep on, do what you can. One day, perhaps in another world, but perhaps far sooner than that, he will fling it on the scrap heap and give you a new one. And then you may astonish us all, not least yourself, for you have learned your driving in a hard school. Some of the least will be first and some of the first will be last. Here's here's my point. God knows what you've gone through. God knows the trauma that you've endured in your life. And some of you have gone through horrible, horrendous things. Trauma after trauma after trauma. God knows. And he's very patient with you because like other people, he knows the depth of it. And he knows when you're trying, God, I, I need you to, I let you come in and transform me. If you keep in that position, that posture, and no matter how wretched you feel like you are, no matter how wretched your machine, so to speak is, if you will stay in this posture of God, I let you transform me. You are an incense to the Lord. He delights in that, that he, he delights in that attitude, that hearts that just surrendered, even in the midst of the brokenness. So I, I, Guys, let's be patient with each other. God is patient with us. He understands and he knows. Oh, let him scream. It's okay. We want, church, we want kids around here. Yeah, sorry <laughs> <Shied> about grandpa. <laughs> Here's my next caution about this transformation God wants to do in you when he comes and that God wants to tr- transform areas that you don't think need it. Let me say that again, just in case you're still smiling at the cute little kid over here. God wants to transform you in areas that you may think you don't need it. It's probably the area your spouse and your coworkers keep bringing up that you don't think is a big deal and you make excuses for. Well, I'm just, that's my personality. That's my temperament. My family's like that. I'm just, that's how I am. We, We make these excuses, but really it's other people are, probably tapping on an area that you don't think needs to be transformed, but God's probably very interested in transforming that area. God actually has me in a process right now, to be completely honest with you here this morning, of transforming me from an impatient, hot-tempered person into a patient, even tempered, compassionate man. He's transforming. And those of you guys who are catching me in the middle of transformation, I'm sorry. <laughs> You know, and I've used this excuse for years of my impatience. Well, I'm just a driven person. I just like results. I just need that to happen now. We gotta beat the clock. You know, that's, I was raised with some of these phrases, you know? And, and I've used these over and over and I've had people over and over, including my wife, like, even this morning, Kevin, patience. Landon's tapped me on the head, Kristen, three times and I've already done my hair. I don't want him to tap me on my head anymore, Okay. I want to leave me alone. I want to drink my coffee. Patience. Kristen gets a front row seat to see the transformation of patience. And honey, one day it's going to get there. God is going to throw this machine onto a heap scrap pile and give me a new one. He's, transform- he's transforming us and we're in process. And hes he's probably in the process of transforming you in areas that you don't think need it. And instead of fighting it, just submit to it. God, I let you transform me into a new person by the way that I am towards others, that I would be patient, even-tempered, and compassionate. Keep your heart just open in a posture of saying, God, I'm surrendered, just do this in me. I'm going to go to C.S. Lewis again. And for this part, I actually want you to close your eyes because he wants us to imagine. So close your eyes here this morning if you feel comfortable. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can't, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You know that those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. And Isn't that how it is when we come to the Lord? We know that there's areas that are wrong and off. God, you need to deal with those areas. But then he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts horribly and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you're going to be made into a decent little cottage but he is building a palace. Why? Because he intends to come and live in it himself. Go ahead and open your eyes. The reason why God wants to touch those areas of your life that you don't think need to be worked with, oh, that's fine, that, that doesn't need to be bothered with, is because he's not interested in just a little cottage. He's building a palace because he wants to dwell in us. And a holy God wants to make his dwelling place holy. You guys hear me this morning? And so he's going to be adamant about making us holy because a holy God dwells in holy places. And so he's going to continue to work on us as painful as it may be. And believe me, more than ever, I think that I understand this concept, the pain of, of having God transform you in areas that you don't think need to be transformed and then realizing, oh, actually, God, you're in the business of building palaces, not cottages, I surrender. I think it's a powerful stance when we come and get to that point. So here it is, when you come to Jesus and let him start transforming you, be patient with yourself and with others. And be ready for every area to be touched. The apostle Paul wrote this in Ephesians 5.1. It says, Imitate God, therefore, everything you do because you are his dear children. And don't imitate him on your own strength. Imitate him by allowing him, letting him transform your life supernaturally. And then it says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So we come to let God transform our lives. And then we go with God in love and sacrifice. In other words, we go and we pour out. I want to end with one last scripture here this morning, then show you an example of this. But in John 13, one of the wildest things happened. And if you grew up in church, maybe you're probably so used to hearing this story, it doesn't shock you. But for those people that were living it in Jesus' day, it was shocking. In John 13, before Jesus goes to the cross, he has this time with his disciples where he said, I'm going to wash your feet. (laughs) And if you remember the story, one of his disciples, Peter, were like, no, no, you're not. No, you're not. Why? Because a Lord... And a savior and a king, a king of kings and a lord of lords, especially does not wash feet. He's above that. And Jesus comes back and says, "No, no, no. You need to let me do this." Now, Peter might be like how I am: of no, you're not going to touch my disgusting feet. Okay, that is not the holy place of my body by any means. This is not the excellent place or my feet. Maybe he, maybe his feet were ticklish or something. I'm not sure, but. you need to understand that what that meant then. It was a pretty lowly job. See, these disciples—they walked on dirt roads in sandals in, in hot weather, which means sweat, dirt, sandals. Anybody want to wash feet? Sign me up. Come on, let's do this. Let's let's wash some dirty, dirty feet. So yet Jesus, he gets down. He stoops down. And he starts washing his disciples, dirty, nasty feet. And one of those disciples actually betrayed him later. He washed his feet, they're dirty, nasty feet. I, I mean, in that situation, I'm like, hey, I'm going to go first <laughs> before. when the water's clean, I want to go first. You know, it's like taking a bath, you know, I go first. But his disciples were, were amazed at that. Why would this guy do this? Because again, servants, Wash people's feet, not kings and lords. And then John John thirteen, Jesus said this when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place, and returned to his returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, You call me teacher and lord and rightfully so for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I've asked Zach to come up and help me here this morning. So, Zach, would you come on up? And I just, I want to, I want to just say that it's. I think this is interesting in our in our church world that um we when Jesus said follow my example and, and communion, do this regularly in remembrance of me. The church is like, oh yeah, let's do communion. Let's do it once a month. Let's do it every single week. But when Jesus said, I want you to follow my example and wash people's feet, I don't see that a lot at church. Like, hey, we do our monthly foot washing. Invite your friends and we can wash their feet too. <laughs> it's not a very attractive method, is it? And, and, and here's why I think, well, this is me personally, but I might be projecting Um, It's awkward. It's weird. And um, if you don't like feet or if you think feet are gross, that that would be a reason not to. But I think that that this is such a a symbolic uh, example of what Jesus has called us to do. Because even now, 2,000 years later, church, it's still awkward, isn't it? It's still uncomfortable. I I, uh, text Zach this morning. I said, Zach, I need your help for a sermon illustration. He goes, sure, I'd love to. He showed up and I was like, hey, guess what you're doing? He's like, what? I'm like, I'm going to wash your feet. He's like, oh. <laughs> and then he goes, and then he goes, gosh, I shouldn't have showered then. And I was like, no, nope, actually, I like our American foot washing ceremonies where we shower and bathe before the feet washing, which means that it doesn't really do anything. It's all symbolic. <laughs> but what's crazy is the Bible describes Jesus getting down and said that he took off one, so they had multiple garments, but he took one off and he had a, he had a towel to be able to dry their feet. And he got down and he started washing their feet and rubbing them. And guys, I just want to say that this is the epitome of our Lord and our savior, washing the feet of people. See, when I think that a lot of times when we get to a certain position or a place, say, I'm not going to do that job anymore. That job is below me. I'm a manager now. I'm not the peon anymore. I, I don't, I don't work at that job. I, I don't need to be able to do that where I pick up that stuff or do that garbage or scrub a toilet anymore. No, 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 That's, that's for the new guys. That's for the intern, you know? And I think that if I'm honest with, with you, what's that? The phrase is retired, <laughs> he said that phrase got retired. He got tired of being called the intern. But, you know, I think what's so powerful is that I think that even then, like today, we can get caught in this trap church where we think that we're above certain jobs. That, that, I don't do that job. That's a dirty job. I don't. Do, you guys ever watched that movie, Dirty Jobs, before? This would be the epitome of the dirty job. And I just think that even for myself, I, I've gotten trapped in the sea. When I first came to this church, I said, man, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll, I'll scrub toilets. You want me to scrub toilets? I'll scrub toilets. But somewhere along the lines, church, I, I had an attitude change, a heart change. Something happened where I started thinking that people are here to serve me, not I'm here to serve others. And I just think that we get that so backwards. It's such a trap. And I think it was the same for the disciples. They were gotten this trap of thinking, no, 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 no. I'm a disciple of Jesus. He's the King of King, the Lord of Lords. I don't need to do this low menial job anymore. I'm in management now. And God says, no, 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 no. I want you to follow my example." as you see me doing the most low and menial jobs out there, I want you to do the same thing. And they will know that you are Christians, you are followers of me, because you choose to have the attitude of serving others, not being served. And when we have this attitude, thanks so much, Zach. Can you give it up for Zach here this morning? When we have this attitude, Because of the transformation that God has done in my life, in my heart, I'm gonna choose to be like Jesus and I'm gonna serve others. I want you to think about what the the job that your work thinks is so low, it's below you. And I want you to do that job this week. Maybe you're gonna get caught scrubbing nasty toilets. I think it's time for us to clean some dirty toilets and remember that we're a servant to all. I think about times when I have been here or been at other places and I see some garbage on the ground and this is horrible. I have the thought, that's not my job. Used to be, but I'm above that now. That's the janitor's job and keep on walking. It's a bad heart attitude, isn't it? That's not Jesus' heart. There's a guy here at this church that used to be just a top level manager and he does the nastiest jobs possible at this church he he cleans out the filters on our septic system that's a dirty job that's gross he he plunges the nasty toilets that people are uncomfortably not willing to tell us after they leave church you know they're like oh i'm out and i get it i get it you don't want to be like that was me <laughs> But when those toilets are plugged after church, he's the guy that comes and plunges them. See, it, it should be, these jobs should be below him. He, has, he arrived at this high level management. He shouldn't have to do those jobs. There's another person that works here. She's worked here for a long time. And she does the, the lo- lowest, most menial jobs that nobody notices. And she has never gotten to this place of saying, I'm above that. I have worked here this long make the intern do it. you know And I just I just think that we need to get back to that. I think we need to get back to that in our marriage. I, I think that may, maybe the foot washings you know we, we take regular showers so we're good now. Maybe it's massaging or lotioning your spouse's feet. Amen. See that my, my wife does speak. It's true. Let's serve one another, church. Let's serve at at your work. This week, look for an opportunity. Maybe there's going to be this after party or maybe you're going to do a staff party. Stick around and clean up. Vacuum the floor. Find ways that you can be able to do... Hey, maybe you you need a diaper to change. Honey, I think we got some diapers that they could... if If you needed help, we could help you serve by changing some really gross, nasty diapers. No? You? My point is this, those who have been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ are willing to do anything to be servants of all, because that's what Jesus did for us. And when I, I believe that when we can get back to that heart, there is no job that is so low that I'm not willing to stoop lower and do that. I believe that we can be bright lights in this world because the world is filled with this exact opposite. I get promoted, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to worry about that anymore. That's somebody else's job, but not us. We are servants of the most high God. Amen. Stand to your feet here this morning. Lord, I just thank you so much for setting a really good example for us. Not an easy example, but example in which the world desperately needs. Husbands that will serve their wives, wives that will serve their husbands, friends that will serve one another, coworkers that will serve one another, managers that will, that will serve their, the people they're managing. Lord, I, I ask that you would bring us back to your heart. And Lord, your your heart is to be one of serving one another. Lord, you served the kids. Everyone thought that you were above that. You were above children's ministry. Put the kids back in the wing and let us do our adult thing. You said, let the kids come to us, come to me. Lord, you washed feet. He rode on a disgusting, dirty donkey. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords got a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. Over and over and over, Jesus, we see that. I mean, if today's standard, Lord, that would be like me driving a, a Chevy Pinto. Lord, that, that's the level that you lived at of serving. And I just thank you so much, God, for bringing us back to what really matters through this series that we are disciples. We are followers of the most amazing, incredible God in the whole wide world. And Lord, we want to do the job of serving others well. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen.